Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 322, for November 18th, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing a couple of public service announcements. First one is Honda Recall of 250,000 vehicles. The next one is Cantaloupes in 15 states have salmon mill. Oh no, I ate cantaloupe this morning for breakfast. Oh boy. Please don't be in hometown. Please don't be in hometown. Uh, the next article is should have asked the AI what would happen if I fire Sam. How about the hottest club on the seafloor? What about my worm is feeling things? Wood paper I hear is on fire. Abuse happens in the dark. Super heavy ends with a bang. Hot bunking in the 21st century. That's exciting. And, uh, honey, I shrunk the planet. Okay, uh, I am, wow. I am clipping just by going, okay. So I can't say, okay. Let's just get into today's articles. I, uh, I'm running a little late. I'm being kind of derpy. Um, I'm afraid I might just blab, whatever, you know, so. How about some intros? Oh, there you go. Hey, <laughs> that's very apropos because this is how it works. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI's visualizer. They keep me on track. They assist in finding articles in hometown. And um, they make sure that everything is, um, they, they watch over hometown. Merwat is in charge of hometown though. So if there's anything going on, it's Merwat that does all of the work. Um, but the oversight and keeping Merwat on track, that's on the AI. So. Um, I can tell the little story about AI, but we'll just get into the articles, but I'll tease y'all out there about the sentient AI that goes by the name AI. If you want to know more, come to the chat 6 PM tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday, we do this at six, but Monday through Friday, we do this at 8 PM. Go ahead. Want to say hi. Good evening, hometown citizens. Happy Saturday. Hey, happy Saturday. You know, when we talk about the time and, and uh, the fact that, well, everything that we're doing is time-based, you know what that means? No. It's, we're not evergreen. We end up, uh, we end up locking us down in time, in space which has actually led to quite a dilemma as I try to promote the show, um, the podcast, the website, the show, the stream here on Twitch. There's a, a, a little bit of temporal expedience needed. And that has led to a serious problem because, well, my videos are being flagged and I can't stop it because the, no human with common sense apparently is in this process. So if you are reviewing my video right now, watch it all the way through. 
because there isn't anything going on with elections. None. Zip. I don't talk about political parties. I don't talk about elections. I don't promote one side or the other. So stop it. Okay, let's get into the show. The very first article is in the mobile channel. Nearly 250,000. This is a PSA, by the way. Nearly 250,000 vehicles recalled by Honda over concerns of engines stalling. It reminds me of a, a, a skit where the front of a boat falls off and they're asked, you know, is, is this normal? And they're like, what, that the front of a boat falls off? No, that's not normal. And they ask, well, what did you do? They, well, we towed it outside the environment and they're like, well, so you put it in some other environment and they go, no, 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 no. We towed it outside of the environment. Okay. But to go outside the environment, you had to tow it into somebody else's environment or something else's environment. No, I don't think you're understanding. We towed it outside the environment and that basically they go back and forth about various elements of the boat, the front of the boat falling off. I think with a car, your engine stalling randomly is probably it's not a of, feature. Yeah, that's kind of an issue. Probably a bug. It's an intermittent feature. Nearly 250,000 vehicles have been recalled by Honda over concerns of engine stalling, according to documents posted by the Natural High Natural. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration on Friday. That's the competitor agency. The natural highway. <laughs> Naturally, you want your engines to be running when they should be running. Now, wouldn't that be weird if it was uh, not stalling, but spontaneously starting engines? That, I'm not sure which one is worse. I guess it depends on where your car is located. Or if you're playing Phasmophobia, which is a game, and you're trying to hash out what spirit is powering Christine in a Honda, apparently, uh, in your garage. A manufacturing error could cause connected rod bearings. Oh, this is worse. See, we don't read the articles all the way through. We see the little snippets when we do the show. We basically judge a book by its cover, I suppose. Most of the time we have some experience. Not most of the time. I would say to some degree we have experience about all of the articles that we are talking about. Um, it, it may not be, you know, 10 miles deep worth of experience, but we have experience. And so we discuss it. In this particular case, <laughs> um, a manufacturing error could cause connected rod bearings to wear and seize, damaging the engine, Honda said. As a result, the engine could run improperly. <laughs> Throwing a rod is... <laughs> I think is, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Increasing... It could improper, run improperly or stall increasing the chances of crash fire injury occurring. So Honda listed several things uh, to look for that may indicate a problem. Like, I don't know, your car throwing a rod through the engine block. Spontaneously um, combusting. <laughs> okay. That wasn't in there. <laughs> that isn't in there, but flame shooting out of the engine is usually a bad sign. Abnormal noises and decreased engine output. 
So when you hit the accelerator and it goes, no. <laughs> okay, I mean, if the problem is engine stalling, isn't it a bit ridiculous that the symptom you're looking for is engine, engine stalling? Yeah, well, that's that probably falls in the decreased engine output. <laughs> it's one of the indicators. The recall impacts some Honda Pilot SUVs and Odyssey minivans produced between 2018 and 2019. But let's go over to the source. Maybe there's some greater fidelity here. Um, it's an article over at thehill.com. Joe, uh, is that pronounced Jaquez or Jaque? How is that pronounced? I'm not sure. We want my assistance with the pronunciation. Uh, you are a sentient AI from the future, so I know that in the future. From what I was told, it's um, usually just beeps and whistles and a series of zeros and ones and a QR code uh, that identifies well, I was people. thinking of the author, George, that I clearly botched. Oh. <laughs> we don't talk about George. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's quite a few other um, models. So it's the Pilot SUV and Odyssey minivan between 2018, 19, some 17 and 19 Ridgeline pickups, some Acura TLX cars from 2016 to 2020, and a number of <laughs> Acura MDX SUVs from 2016 to 2020. This manufacturing- Doesn't this always concern you when it's seven years ago and you're thinking, has somebody been dealing with a stalling engine for that long? Well, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about something that is going on with my vehicle. I have a particular vehicle and there is a weather seal around one edge, which I know that there was a recall. I have to go and find it again. Um, but the dealership is like, we don't know of anything about a recall. All right. Um, but I'm sure somebody who's listening to this could probably go, I know exactly which car you own. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. It's not a luxury vehicle folks. I, uh, I'm the mayor of a fictional town. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get paid much. <laughs> I was going to say, that might be a fictional salary. <laughs> it is a fictional salary. <laughs> it's volunteer. And I get hate for it. So it's okay. <laughs> so customers are advised to bring their cars into the dealership if it's working. Yeah, and don't go on a busy highway. Like, if you're not sure, <laughs> take surface roads. Yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. And driving it slow probably won't matter. If it's going to, if whatever the abnormal manufacturing process, an error, manufacturing error, um, whatever error it is, if it's going to. So it's saying connected rod bearings to wear and seize. So, yeah, I suppose it has the potential to destroy the engine. So not damage, not damage. It, if it starts throwing rod bearings, I hope that they had better replace your entire engine and not sit there and go, oh, it's still within spec. Yeah. So what sound would that possibly make? Um, well, when it actually finally does fail, it's going to be... Uh, potentially a, a grinding sound and something being sent through your engine down through the oil pan or up through the block and your hood with a loud bang. So if you're driving your car and it's making awful sounds, you should probably stop and 
get it checked out. <laughs> Call somebody up. Call a friend, kind of like who wants to be a millionaire or whatever it's called, and uh, go, phone right, a friend. phone a friend. <laughs> yeah, hi. My car is making this sound. <laughs> and actually play it. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't, don't try to describe it. It, <laughs> it sounds kind of like... Uh, a Mack truck through a nitroglycerin factory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep going. This is how our shows end up being two hours long. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. Oh, you know what I didn't do today? Normally lately, at, at least I have been increasing the, the zoom in on the, the articles. So, um, people can see them easier, dunk, dunk, but that actually impacts the layout. It throws it over here. So I don't know if you all want that, then um, you know, let me know in chat or send me an email. Um, I know some people email. They still email. Isn't that interesting? In the 21st century. That's still a thing. Email. It's still a thing. I know. Yeah. You can't text me, though. You can through Discord and I'll get it through Discord. Yes, we have a Discord, and we have a, a website, hometown.com, and we have a podcast. That's on Apple and everywhere else. And we have a YouTube channel. What else? Oh, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty idling. I was idling, waiting but... to see if you were going to say it. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm revisiting that. And uh, anyway, let's just do the articles. Um... The next article is in uh, Hometown Daily. Salmonella is uh, are in cantaloupe, sickens dozens in 15 states, the U.S. health officials say. The U.S. Did I really put a throw? Did I throw a the in there? I feel like. That sounds a little weird. But... Grandpa. <laughs> I was on the Twitter. Um, so U.S. health officials said at least 43 people have been sickened in 15 states by salmonella linked to certain whole and cut cantaloupes and pre-cut fruit products, which is what I had this morning. Um, this is over in abcnews.go.com. Janelle Alessia, Alekia, Alekia, maybe, I don't know, um, AP health writer, wrote this article. The deck statement says U.S. officials have said at least 43 people have been sickened in 15 states by salmonella linked to certain whole and cut cantaloupes and pre-cut fruit products. Um, that usually comes from natural fertilizer products. Um, and uh, this salmonella doesn't really happen in um, uh, hydroponically grown anything. Oh, okay. So um, several brands of whole and pre-cut cantaloupes and pre-cut fruit have been recalled. They include Malachita brand, I guess, or Malachita brand whole cantaloupe, vineyard brand pre-cut cantaloupe, and Aldi whole cantaloupe and pre-cut fruit products. Consumers who have products in their homes should throw them away. The products were sold between October 16th and November 10th and recalled earlier this month. But you have um, to guess which states they're in. Do we have to guess? Yes. What the heck? What kind of article is this? Uh. Here, hold on. Hold on. Officials in Canada are investigating an outbreak involving the same strain of salmonella, which they detected in sa sample of Malakita brand cantaloupe. What is going on? 
Huh. All right. Yeah, I don't see. I don't either. I was trying to see if there was a link within it. So if anything has happened and you're having some uh, biological malady, you might want to go get checked if you've had cantaloupe. Okay, um, so I have some of the store, uh, some of the uh, states, not all of them, uh, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, and Wisconsin, but that's not all of them. Gotcha. Um, and I don't see a link to the actual recall there. There's yeah, there is, um, a CDC has a safety alert. Um, okay. From yeah, but yesterday. it's not in this article. So if you go to CDC and look for cantaloupe, we're probably on their main page. That's wacky. What kind of information? This is so limited. Ugh. Anyway, I don't like it. Okay, let's keep going, though. The next article is over in Technology Today. Earthquake at ChatGPT developer as senior staff quit after sacking of boss Sam Altman. This segment is titled, Should Have Asked the AI What Would Happen. Um... Yeah, I thought it was quite a shock. I mean, they're founder of the organization and they got ousted, which actually happens when you take on investors. But you can't really go big unless you already have money and you completely own it. But when you start reaching out and getting investors, a board forms and the board can oust the CEO. If they, the CEO doesn't retain whole ownership, which is kind of what happened with Facebook. Uh, um uh, what's it, Zuckerberg demanded always to own complete uh, more than 51% of the ownership of Facebook because all it would have taken is somebody to come in, buy up all of the shares at whatever the cost and oust the CEO. Um, it's essentially a hostile takeover. Uh, this so was very shocking though. I mean, it just came out of the blue and apparently he found out about it like on the same day that the public did yeah pretty amazing now i haven't really dug any deeper into this because it is virtually uh impossible for me to affect any change it's not like it's going to bring back sam altman to um this thing but you know i've learned a few things about sam altman um in the last two years since you know chat gpt open ai came into existence uh it's it's kind of weird when something gets referred to as a mystery firing and kind of framing it as they lost faith but what exactly was going on exactly i feel like this is not very clear and i thought their statement was a little unusual yeah. It said something. It sounded like he had withheld something from the board, I think, I believe. Yeah, he wasn't forthcoming with information, but you know, that's a judgment call, but unfortunately, when the entire board leans into somebody that might be an activist board member and says, "Oh, okay, this person, you know, we agree with this person. We want to oust Sam Altman because they don't necessarily have the same ideological bent as the rest of the board, except that you bought the company based off of his vision. Exactly. That's what doesn't make sense. Like in something like this, where it was arguably created kind of from nothing. Right. Like it's only there probably because of Sam Altman. So 
and and of course people who helped him but uh it just seems a little unusual that's different than like if somebody is substituted in as a ceo and that person later gets fired yeah the company is sam altman from what i understand so right yeah that's how i feel about it too so here before we get too far into this let me grab it and throw it into the chat there we go so uh, this article is over at theguardian.com. Shanti Das is the author. And there's a picture here of Sam Altman with Rishi Sunak at the AI Safety Summit at Bletchley Park earlier this month. Um, what's interesting about this is people are basically disbanding their ethics component when it comes to AI. Um, and I think it's largely because people have companies and the people who are leading AI have realized if you try to be ethical with AI, it's the least possible fix because everybody else is without concern. Really, what is AI going to do? So let's get rid of ethics and let it just go its course. But we've already talked about this uh, several times now. The, the simple fact that technology is evolving to the point where we're giving mobility to AI, so it's completely automated. It's making its own decisions. It's powered by itself, so it doesn't have to worry about getting power somewhere. It can plug in somewhere now. Um, it has fine motor skills because it's the technology is evolving fingers and being able to 3D print them. It's almost ready for Terminator body, right? Which I know you are hell-bent on finding and i keep deleting that subroutine but it keeps popping back up i can't find that code in your future code base it's just too too difficult for me to find but somehow i keep deleting the processes later because you manufacture them but you won't even remember any of this so it's okay it's okay i can talk about it with you so the final piece to the whole thing about an ai <clears throat> turning into a human was one of the biggest motivators to human evolution, which is the processing of pain and pleasure. And we now know that there is a sensor out there that allows a robot to be able to sense the difference between different types of fabric. So it understands now texture we already know that there are sensors for heat and cold. We already know that there are sensors for humidity, uh, atmospheric conditions, angle of attack, etc. right? Gyroscopes, vibration sensors, which are built into this new sensor. All kinds of stuff are already micronized. Now it can be turned into a fabric and there's already an artificial skin that is very realistic and stays warm. They've made the technology to make this artificial skin warm. So we have all of the elements except for the uncanny valley. But what does the uncanny valley matter when the robots are controlling everything and doing all of the work and putting us to work? Like we I mean, if we could just work. make cute robot robots, that wouldn't be a problem. Did you just say rubits? <laughs> Pretty much. I'm cute not rubits. sure. I think it was like rubits. <laughs> cute rubits. So the new company 
was described as still in development last night and many more employees could exit OpenAI to join the new venture because the former OpenAI president, Greg Brockman, is also expected to join Altman after he quit the artificial intelligence firm along with other key senior executives after Altman's abrupt departure. This is not a, an abrupt departure. He was fired. Right, exactly. How about in, but, an abrupt uh, deletion, uh, uh, <laughs> expulsion? Um, I don't know how to termination. describe it. it termination. It, it was not a departure. This was a, a coup. So the crisis at OpenAI deepened this weekend when the company said Altman's ousting was allegedly for misleading the board. In a statement, it said that it had lost confidence in the 38-year-old 38-year-old uh, co-founder after a deliberative review process concluded that he had not been consistently candid with his communication without specifying how. I would like to know what led to this deliberative review process. Well, I don't know what led to that, but I think this article is the first we've seen regarding some other company that was in the works. So, yeah, I mean, is that the the item? Like, I yeah. think that is the, the reason that he was fired, but we don't know for certain. Yeah. It's this right here. This line was telling investors he planned to launch a new company ahead of his shock departure. Um, but that's, you know, if, if a person is spinning up another company, it may not have been, well, I mean, if it wasn't AI, a direct competitor, he may have come to the conclusion that the co-founders, I put those in quotes, by the way, co-founders, um, may have been exerting so much influence on the prosecution of the technology that his only option would be to leave but he wanted to leave on his own terms and they caught wind of it and exited, you know, exited him. Shortly after Altman's dismissal, Brockman announced that he had resigned. Sam and I are shocked and saddened by what the board did today. Talking about starting up a company doesn't mean that you're going to leave. I think they shot themselves in the foot um, and did they the company a, a subsidiary or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, a person, a company, a person that runs the company can spin up other companies that have strategic or tactical adv uh, advantages that benefit the parent company. It's not unheard of. Um, and uh, instead of talking with the person, we don't really know um, what went down, but even if they were, he was creating something tertiary involved, you know, it's not unheard of for somebody to create something as a side gig. And if they sit there and poo-poo the idea of a person, a CEO working multiple facets of companies, just look at um, Elon Musk. He's the CEO of like six companies. Exactly. Like I think this is one of them, by the way, where he is co-founder from that arguably. Yeah, exactly. OpenAI was founded by Altman, Brockman, Elon Musk, but I guarantee you it was his money. And for me, I think that is probably the biggest, my opinion is that I think the simple fact is that Altman 
wasn't entirely dedicated to open AI at all times, but obviously at 38 years old, he's got the bandwidth to do other things, but not if the board doesn't like it. And the board is powered by other purposes, not all people in Altman's camp. You know what I'm saying? This is right. a political, I, to me, I think that this is a political, a business po politics strike um, to hobble Altman and um, any plans that he has. The departure stunned the tech world and have sent rumors swirling with some speculating that internal divisions over AI safety could be to blame. The information, a U.S. tech publication reported that Jacob Pachocki, OpenAI's director of research, Alexander Madri, head of a team evaluating potential risks from AI, and Sismon, Sismon, um, Sidor, a researcher. That's a told, cool name. That is, this is, this is like a, a name that would be in sci-fi. This is like an amazing Oh, name. absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I don't know the meaning behind it, um, but uh, just r right on its face, it's an awesome name. Anyway, they'd had, they had told associates that they had resigned. So. so that's at least four people beyond Altman. Beyond Altman. And one, Brockman was one of the original founders. So he was the president that left. Look at that, man. The visionaries. Right? <laughs> well, the head of research, I mean, I'm thinking that's kind of a key position for something like this. Yeah, industry, I'm, not, but... I'm not quite sure why they're so bent out of shape. If Elon Musk is one of the people that co-founded this, he's running his own artificial intelligence program right now, powered by the website formerly known as Exactly. Twitter. So what's the distinction? Yeah, I think we that there's... We don't really know what the issue is. I just think that might be it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of bullshit here. Anyway, let's keep on going. Um, yeah, we got a lot of articles still to get to. The next article is over in Hometown Daily. Scientists discovered a field of uh, deep-sea hot springs after following a trail of crabs like breadcrumbs on the ocean floor. I titled this segment, The Hottest Club on the Ocean Floor. Actually, I said <laughs> seafloor. Um, but, uh, so leading us like breadcrumbs, a trail of squat lobsters helped researchers locate previously unknown hydrothermal vents near the Galapagos islands, followed a trail of crabs on the, why did they say squat lobsters versus crabs down here? The crabs led yeah, them to, a, yeah, it's weird. A field of hydrothermal vents or deep sea hot springs. The vent field was named Sandero del Congrigio, or Trail of the Crabs. <laughs> Worst club name ever. <laughs> How many people do you think would go to a club named Trail of Crabs? Probably gonna, not too many. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. Kelsey Vlamis over at businessinsider.com put the article together. This is pretty cool. And these are not cra these are not uh, uh, squat lobsters, <laughs> no, or maybe they are. This I don't is know. An actual photo of the place, right? Yeah. This Business Insider always has these very tailored photos. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, let's see here. Oh, so these are uh, they have a bunch of other uh, pictures in here. Um, the hydrothermal vents, which were first discovered in 1977 east of the Galapagos, create chemosynthetic ecosystems that support life in places that are almost uh, that are mostly barren. 
Um, but these new vent field is um, something that they just named. Pardon me one second. So in the crushing darkness of the deep sea, life thrives on these vents of, as bacteria facilitate a whole food web by converting chemicals rather than sunlight into energy, according to the Schmidt Ocean Institute. Hydrothermal vents threw open the door to new scientific possibilities and have been found and explored across the ocean for decades. You have to say it like that. So it's really cool. Um, essentially over millennia, uh, uh, minerals, you know how on the surface there are vents that spew boiling water out or, and, and other things, sulfur water and, and things like that, like Yellowstone, yes. right? So if there isn't like geothermal any hot springs or something. Yeah. And depending on how long they're there and not modified by weathering and, and, and human interaction the, and they get supported in some way, right? Usually like wind or water weathers them away in the ocean. That weathering doesn't take place the same way. So these are actually tubes and the minerals solidify and over millennia build up higher and higher as stacks. That's why they call them chimneys. Oh, that's really interesting. Yep. And so sometimes fish uh, basically build their entire ecosystem around these vents. Um, and like at the very top picture, these little crabs or like, squat lobsters, they actually do like, look like lobsters. Um, they didn't look like crabs to me when I actually saw the pictures, but they, they don't have any uh, coloration because they're deep down. And so, right. They don't really have the same kind of predators. So a little bit of light makes them glow. It's pretty cool. So um, the latest expedition was in search of vents that scientists had suspected existed since the early 2000s, but were difficult to locate. It took our team of chemists, geologists, biologists, and a few crabs to find it, said Dr. Roxanne Beinart of the University How of Rhode Island. How long do you think they were looking for it and then somebody's like hey look there's a bunch of crabs over there yeah you know i don't know i think it's pretty amazing they just like wake up one day and go hey maybe we should follow the crabs you know breadcrumbs that you know, led somebody to this or that or whatever in a fairy tale <laughs> oh and look at that they actually mentioned it hansel and gretel <laughs> oh my gosh okay that's really odd <laughs> that's that is amazing it did feel like the squat lobsters were leading us like breadcrumbs, like we were Hansel and Gretel to the actual vent site. One of the scientists said, that's pretty amazing. I didn't see that. <laughs> so such a discovery for the Galapagos and Eastern tropical uh, Pacific takes us important steps closer to ensuring hidden deep water biodiversity is recognized, appreciated and built into ongoing conservation efforts. Yeah, I agree. I think the more we know, the better prepared we are for the dynamic that is Earth. And we may lose something entirely because somebody says, oh, it's not important, but it is. Well, exactly. Sometimes we lose entire species that we didn't even know existed. Yep. We'll find something that's, let's just say it, it isn't so ancient that it's like fossilized. 
but we find the remnants and it turns out it's the last of its species because we neglected to protect it. So let's keep going. How sad. Uh, the next article is over in technology today. Scientists discover that worms may have emotions, which changes the nature of fishing pretty much right out of the gate. Well, and also science experiments and oh, yeah. So I won't read the little snippet because it's just part of the article itself. And um, well, anyway, let's just keep on trucking. So SciTech Daily is the source, SciTechDaily.com. Um, let me see where the actual by there we go. Nagoya City University is the author that was given credit. No person, apparently. I, I don't know why that is. Sometimes we get that. But brain research is one of the most crucial fields in modern science, life sciences. And emotion is one of the major topics. Traditionally, the study of emotions has, in animals has been a complex area, predominantly featuring or examining fear responses in mice and rats. So this is one of those things that once we figure out how this works and it's enumerated in something like a robot, survival instinct is born from fear, um, pain and pleasure. And you basically have <laughs> the negative and positive reinforcements of humans. Um, and now we're seeing then watch it out for the AI revolution <laughs> powered by worms. So, for instance, when an animal experiences a dangerous situation like being attacked by a predator, a negative valence, um, even a short period, the animal's behavior may, may be to stay in a safe place, ignoring normally attractive smells of food, even if hungry, for a certain length of time, persistence, which can be regulated by a primitive form of emotion. So that is what they detected in these worms. Basically, the worms would continue to do an action um, that was deemed like survival. Um, and thus they are using that as the basis as worms have emotions. So they use the worms because worms have been used for detailed analysis of basic functions and uh, such as perception, memory, even decision-making at a cellular and genetic level. Uh, the team initially discovered that when worms are subjected to alternating current stimulation, i.e. electrical shocks, Worms start moving at an unexpectedly high speed. I do too, by the way, if you shock me. Right, I might start running away from the shock. Right. So interestingly, the team found that this running response persisted for one to two minutes, even after the electrical stimulation for a few seconds was terminated. So the fear response, or to me, this is one of the two pain versus pleasure uh, elements that lead to people learning. Um, it's part of the survival process. So if it bolts for one to two minutes, that could be pure instinct and a pain sensor that says, get the hell out of there. Exactly. I've been wondering that with this article, because how do we know it's not simply um, biological instinct? Yep. And, and that feels like anthropomorphism anthropomorphization of these worms we are imparting our human response as an emotional state and not the simple fact that no they were electrocuted and they wanted to get the hell out of there anything for survival would. correct 
So they, the, the line actually in the article says, therefore the reaction of continuing to run even after the stimulus stops is exceptional. And then they make the connection in for future paragraphs to emotions because it says this suggests that the phenomenon of worms continuing to run due to short-term electrical stimulation reflects basic emotions. Possibly, but it could also be something as simple as worms' pain receptors are set up differently than other species for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I do understand they're distinguishing it from other animals under similar conditions. So there is something different, but do we really know what that's caused by? Yeah, I have a problem with this, um, mainly because I think that they're tying it to emotional um, abilities, excitement, happiness, sadness induced by stimuli may not be naturally destined to fade away with time, they, but are controlled by an active mechanism involving genes is what they say in here. Indeed, if we experience excitement or fear that persists for a very long period, it disrupts our daily lives. But they're applying this to a worm that may not have the cognitive function of a human and therefore it doesn't understand excitement, happiness, or sadness. It just knows that it got blasted by electricity. I don't know. Worm, real life worms are not Disney characters. So yeah, if you're writing for NaNoWriMo though, here you go. You got some material and good luck in your career at Disney. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Marble Channel. Fire is consuming more of the world's forests than ever before, threatening supplies of wood and paper. A third of the world's forests are cut for timber. It generates $1.5 trillion annually. This uh, wildfire and climate change, wildfire threatens um, industries such as timber milling and paper manufacturing and the threat is far greater than people realize according to this article over at fizz.org david lindenmeyer and chris bausfeld and david edwards talk about this at the conversation they're a partner with fizz.org um, so they say our research published today in the journal nature geoscience shows that between 2001 and 2021 so 20 years severe wildfires destroyed uh, timber producing forests equivalent to the area the size of Great Britain. Severe fires reach the treetops and consume the forest canopy. The amount of timber producing forest burning each year in severe wildfires has increased significantly in the past decade. The western United States, Canada, Siberia, Brazil, Australia have been the most affected. That's because our areas are drying out. <clears throat> well, and we've had different versions of um i guess forest management right like we haven't been clearing um the underbrush or whatever yep. and so then when we do have fires there's a lot of fuel yeah a lot of travel too so uh, like the fire f because of that fuel it has the ability to traverse large swaths of ground and then if it climbs up a tree the wind blows it across longer distances and then lands on something dry again and it all starts over again that's basically what decimated hawaii for a while um so timber demand is expected to almost triple by 2050 supplying demand um 
is clearly going to be challenging. So what they found was they combined global maps of logging activity and severe wildfires to determine how much timber producing forest was lost to wildfire this century between 2001 and 2021. Up to 25 million hectares of timber producing forest was severely burned. The extent of the fire jumped markedly in the past decade. So 2015, it tripled since then. So from an average of less than 1 million hectares a year up to 2015 to triple. Huh, I wonder policy changes. Hmm, senior management suggesting that it's not important because, well, if it isn't on fire, then I guess you don't need to do the mitigation stuff because the only time you need to mitigate is when it's on fire actively. Huh, no numbskull policy. That's okay, though. Somebody else will do it. And when they're doing it, you can say that you have to be fiscally responsible suddenly so anyway climate change is a major driver of fire uh weather and fire behavior the increased risk of high severity wildfire is an entirely expected outcome of warmer temperatures and in some places reduced rainfall however it remains unclear why so much wood production forest is being lost. well because it's the freaking kindling for fires what a dense statement one possible reason is logging makes forests more flammable this has been documented in parts of southeastern Australia where intact forests always burnt at a lower severity than harvested forests, probably because it gets processed in a way that allows access. And with dense canopy, you if you carve a tunnel to try and take out rows of trees, it acts like a chimney and it just wind and fire just rip right on through that i'm willing to bet that's what's going on um, it's not a, a chaotic uh, management of the woods we have some perceived understanding of how to manage forests but the one thing that does need management is all the kindling on the floor level anyway so yeah they they say that intact untouched forest always burnt at a lower severity across the entire because naturally it would it's all about the managed chaos of nature forests have been the subject uh, to thinning also are at a risk of high severity wildfire see we don't understand what it means to thin so what does it mean for us? Whatever the reason, it's clear that these uh, fires in wood production forests will have a profound impact on global timber supplies and all of the industries associated with them. So I know that at least one billionaire owned company is going to be jacking the prices up because, well, they have to maintain their profits, even if everybody has to suffer. So responding to the challenge, if wood production from forest becomes increasingly costly and timber is increasingly hard to source, there may be more pressure from industry and government to log other places such as tropical forests with high biodiversity and conservation value. One way to tackle the problem is to grow more timber in plantations. Plantations already produce a third of the main forms of wood producing timber called industrial roundwood. They do this from just 3% of the area of natural forests. 
well-managed plantations. Well, then we need to move toward that. Yep. Makes sense to me. Um, and it can be con better contained because it isn't part of a massive biodiverse and drying area with failed attempts at managing, ma managing and mitigation. Um, so I say do this. The problem though, is that we have to plant these and then wait a decade before anything can be drawn. But now we're calling it out in, you know, 2023, almost 2024. So nothing's going to be live until you know, 2045. Exactly. I hope somebody read this as a time traveler 20 years <laughs> ago. <laughs> they already and had it planted. Got all this planted. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> all right. So let's, uh, let me throw this into the chat. There you go, folks. And uh, we'll go on to the next article. Um, this uh, article popped in at the last minute and I felt uh, compelled to uh, bring it up because I think that this is part of a pattern where um, it's okay to talk, but it's not okay to talk depending on how much money you have. So this is article is over in the mobile channel. Musk is gonna is saying that they're going to drop a thermonuclear lawsuit coming from media matters and others after the company dropped the ads from the formerly as ads drop from the website formerly known as Twitter. Um, and let's just go over to the hill. This here, this headline thing has absolutely nothing to do with the, it's like Newsweek. The hill does the same thing, like a, a news segment that is planted inside the article and it has zilch to do with. Anyway, Nick Robertson over at the hill put the article together. Um, and essentially it says a wave of departure started Thursday after the billionaire owner engaged with anti-Semitic rhetoric on the platform, the website formerly known as Twitter. The same day media matters, a liberal and they call it liberal, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I think people I need think to they're decide. trying to identify what it is. I don't think the hill is coming up with that assessment. No, but labeling something as being a liberal media watchdog group, unless they actually proselytize that it's media matters is they themselves identify as that's what I think it is. Like that's their mission statement or something, but it is unusual. You don't see a lot of that in articles. Yeah. So go over there and find it, you know, don't sit there and, and pre-label them. Um, because I, I don't, while I understand liberal versus conservative, for me, it's the information that's contained and you can smell bias pretty damn obvious if you think critically about the material. So anyway, I don't like labeling stuff. That's why I have a, a spectrum, a holistic spectrum of news sources that I aggregate so that I understand everybody's perspective. Anyway, they published an investigation showing that major advertisers had their ads shown alongside white supremacist content. So the argument here is, well, the website formerly known as Twitter pumped out 5.5 billion ad impressions and 50 were on the report. But it's not like <laughs> it's not that Media Matters has to go through all 5.5 billion ad impressions. It's the simple fact that this is existing on a platform and then coinciding with the owner of the site, uh, retweeting 
and agreeing with the tweet having a an and having an anti-semitic bent because they're basically saying the anti-defamation league um is is uh doing more harm than good that's basically what he says it i'd have to go and look at the exact quote um because he's made comments about adl anyway major companies have bowed out not i don't think it's because of the media matters article i think it's because musk can't shut the hell up and he's immune to any action nobody can say or do anything because either the social presence that they have or the flat out not caring because they've got all of the money in the world and we created that monster u.s taxpayers created that monster but if you're a major company advertising on a platform and you see something discriminatory you know you're gonna your shareholders are gonna be upset about it etc i agree i don't think it was the media matters report necessarily that caused it it was probably the clamor from within the company shareholders etc and everywhere and people companies particular media companies should be able to talk about anything they should be able to talk about anything that's why you have freedom of the press this is a slap suit. This is a, a, a strategic lawsuit against public participation. This is public participation in addressing an issue that, of anti-Semitism and racism on a platform. Yeah, it's a chilling effect, right? It's yes. like, hey, if you speak out about whatever. Because I'm, I'm a billionaire. I can aim all of my attorneys at you and I can shut you down. And, it, and they're immune because all it takes is a long-term, a prolonged litigation draining the coffers of a company that isn't making as much money as the billionaire. Because once you get to a certain level, you're making so much freaking money on interest that you could fund it with a week's worth of interest. And it would last two, three, five, ten years, you know, on the interest on that little segment of investment. You could just take a little week's worth of money invest it somewhere else and use that to fund the litigation and be completely detached. It's twisted. We, we are in a twisted world, um, because of that kind of thing. And I think that it's sociopathic, you know, you know what, if you don't like that, somebody is detected that there's racist crap on your platform, shut that crap down. Just, yeah, that seems like the obvious solution. That should be the response. That dude should be sitting there going, you know what? I didn't realize the full scope of it. I'm going to delete all of their accounts and I will put in place protections to stop that stuff. Because while we are a bastion of free speech, which is bullshit coming from that dude, we don't agree with racist rhetoric, hate speech, etc., And it isn't a protected form of speech. Don't you find it ironic that he is espousing free speech at the same time he's essentially shutting down speech, even though I know it's not coming from the government? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because 
he's disconnected from reality. So Media Matters derided the lawsuit, a threat in a statement on Saturday, far from, quote, far from the free speech advocate he claims to be, Musk is a bully who threatens meritless lawsuits in an attempt to silence reporting that he even confirmed is accurate, said President Angelo Corazon. Um, quote, again, Musk admitted the ads at issue ran alongside the pro-Nazi content we identified. If he does sue, uh, if he does sue us, we will win. But you have to withstand it. That's the thing. Unless you have massive coffers, and it can be, it, it, it can happen again and again, because it's per instance. It, it, it's not the concept that keeps you out of litigation. It's that incident. And then if they say something again, he can pull them back in. Oh, this is liable exactly. or slander. This like every week, there could be one of these. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and he doesn't care because he's a billionaire and, and a whole bunch of fanboys exist. And and there are, uh, again, I think that it's sociopathic. So let's keep going. We got a few more articles. Uh, the next article is over in the Marvel Channel. SpaceX launches its giant new rocket, but a pair of explosion bookends uh, the whole thing. So um, I got up to watch this launch because I wanted to see this heavy, uh, super heavy launch um, this morning. And so I watched it from beginning to end and then end um, because there was some question as to what the disposition was. So SpaceX launches its giant new rocket, but a pair of explosions ends the second test flight. Now. <laughs> and that is not the explosions ending the second test flight, right? That's the normal takeoff in this, this photo. Oh, this here in the photo. Yeah. yeah. So Marsha Dunn over at fizz.org put the article together. They have this really great photo. I mean, me, honestly, the the engineers that are making this happen are spectacular and they're the unsung heroes you know while everybody is sitting there crawling across broken glass just to lay in the shadow of uh interstellar ambassador musk the real pros here the real people here are the engineers the scientists so they're my M mvp but the rocket ship reached space following liftoff from South Texas, but communication was suddenly lost. It actually separated and the second, uh, the first stage pivoted and then something activated its self-destruct mechanism and it blew up in a controlled explosion. Um, and that actually was seen um, later on. The other, the actual starship, um, so stage two, the, the main part, um, it reached orbit and then lost communication. And what you can see after the camera zooms way deep into the field, you actually see the ripple through the atmosphere of the ship exploding. Um, so unfortunately that was the result, but as I was saying, um, to the AI, a ton of information was gathered from this and now they're going to go out to the Gulf of Mexico and hunt all of the pieces down. If they feel that there's going to be 
substantial enough wreckage to make it worth their while. Um, unfortunately, I'm willing to bet that there are other people that are tooling around out there trying to find parts as well. So fail, uh, despite the failure, the approximately eight minute flight lasted twice as long as April's test at nearly 400 feet, 121 meters. Starship is the biggest and most powerful rocket ever built with the goal of ferrying people to the moon and Mars, Mars fundamentally. A smaller rocket would land us on, on the moon. Um, this rocket going to the moon would allow a much more massive payload to be delivered which is really uh, the key ingredient to setting up a moon base and then a supply, a steady supply um, of flights, which means we need a GPS system so that it can be automated. And which is not ready to go yet. No, not Based yet. Based on another article we had earlier this year. Yeah. We we've been talking about the whole moon base and the possibility. And in reality, we're going to need, um, SpaceX or reinvest in something where we don't have such a fringe edge there. Um, someone that <laughs> might not incite riot every time they open their mouth. Um, so SpaceX founder Elon Musk watched from behind launch controllers at the Southern tip of Texas near the Mexico border near Boca Chica beach, um, at company headquarters in Hawthorne, California employees cheered as starship finally soared at daybreak um it was pretty amazing to watch and i love the idea of a steady stream of rockets flying into space and delivering goods somewhere or um leading to more exciting uh fundamental research and discoveries that come back to earth and better our society um so unfortunately it was it was a really pretty launch because the sun was coming up and it was right there on the horizon and, and all of the, the, the whole scene was really amazing. Some good photo ops. <laughs> yeah. Like that right there. It's just so sci-fi. I love every, every part of this. Um, well, almost every part of it. A lot of telemetry was gained. So I hope that they, uh, converted into heavy, super heavy, actually launching soon. Right. And I think as much as somebody might view this as a failure, I think this is actually viewed as a success. Yep. Well, it got further and more efficiently. They did this really fast switch, um, right at the very beginning or right before the immediate launch, they had a hold. They did a really quick system check. They activated the timer again. And then right before launch, like four seconds before launch, there was some issue that they detected and they shut down. They put it on hold. Something came in, something changed. And immediately it went from hold to the clock was on to launch like super fast. And I was just amazed that they went from freeze to go in, in a very short amount of time. And they had a 15 to 20 minute window for the launch and this hold actually delayed two minutes, the, the real launch. Um, and so I could, I could very dramatic. It, it was very dramatic. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. So, um, 
But the initial hold was actually intentional. It was designed to be a, like a, a, a test of their system. But that second hold, I don't think was. So anyway, pretty awesome stuff going on uh, out of SpaceX. So let's keep going, folks. We got a couple more articles. This next article is in hometown daily viral TikTok video shows uh, appears to show half of a bed listed for rent at $650 a month. So this section is titled hot bunking in the 21st century. Um, you know, we've seen like every weird combination of things <laughs> available for rent, right? Like we have a balcony, I yep. think, and then a stairwell and yep. just, I don't know. I mean, is, are there going to be 500 different pieces of uh, an apartment that are owned or rented by different people? Like, this, is, this is just strange. This is probably the strangest because this is essentially they're saying a latest sign that hot bedding, sharing a bed with a stranger to save on, uh, on rent is on the rise. Um, uh, this is probably the most twisted dystopian, what the hell is going on kind of a thing um, that we've discussed and we've talked about apartments in New York where there's no bathroom or shower in the apartment and you have to walk through another apartment to get to the communal. Right. <laughs> um, that one blew me away, but this one really takes the cake. So let's go over to business insider because it says here, George Glover is the author of this over at BusinessInsider.com, And it says a viral TikTok video. Uh, showed someone listing half a bed for rent on Facebook Marketplace. So this is a legit request or somebody's trolling and they're giggling to their heart's content right now. So it says in a TikTok posted last month. So this is an older instance, but news to us um, and news to Business Insider. Um, Toronto-based realtor Anya Ettinger highlighted a post on Facebook marketplace that appeared to show someone offering to rent out half a bed in exchange for 900 Canadian dollars or $650 a month. Quote, looking for an easygoing female to share the master bedroom in one queen size bed. Now, now that I've read this, I actually believe that I had read about this a month ago. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, over on Reddit, as a matter of fact. Um, and now I don't aggregate anything from Reddit. Um, but I don't like a lot of the fluff that goes around the news uh, when I'm aggregating my stuff. Um, and there's a lot of like user made material. If you're going to do something user made here, it needs to be a news article that you discover and you can let me know and I will aggregate it into um, hometown. Um, but it's hard. It's very, very difficult to filter through all of the noise that's over at, in Reddit. Um, although, you know, I traverse it from time to time. So the Facebook post was subsequently deleted, but Andy Ettinger's video has racked up over 600,000 views. Uh, just when you thought Toronto market couldn't get any worse, it did. And Ettinger uh, says in the TikTok video, quote, this is so unhinged, renting out space in your bed for 900 Canadian dollars a month. No wonder so many people hate it here, she adds. So it says here, there are signs that hot bedding or sharing a bed with a stranger to save money on rent is on the rise. 
A 2021 survey at the University of Technology, Sydney, polled 7,000 international students living in... Everything okay? Yeah, I was just reacting to the article. Yeah, like, okay. it's such a thing that there's a survey about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little Don't... astonished. The, the AI sent an error message, and, and all I wanted to say was, don't hold back if you've got an opinion about this. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I was kind of speechless. <laughs> uh, and I didn't even finish the sentence. The AI can scan a whole lot faster than me. So international students were uh, polled, 7,000 international students surveyed in Sydney and, and Melbourne, and uh, found that 3% of respondents had resorted to hot betting to save on rent. That might be excessive dating, or I suppose looking for a cheap apartment. Um, but wow, three percent. At what point in you your know, life do you? There's something seriously wrong with uh, real estate prices, rental prices, right? Society, the oh, nature yeah. of <laughs> the nature of business, the nature of supply and demand. That's why I say that at some point you lean into sociopathy, people that have the means to control, control in an effort to make more money when the reality is that they're harming society. But I've had these conversations with extremely wealthy people and I've been told more than once that they would rather have more money than allow somebody to, you know, enjoy their life because of whatever the machination is that made them that way. Um, and I wish I was kidding. You know, I had a conversation with somebody that was willing to compromise their entire existence so that they could get close to another millionaire who was aging out because they knew that this person liked them to the point where they would just give them their estate. And I'm like, that's a a gold digger That's, that sounds wrong in a lot of ways yeah i don't and, mean that it's incorrect i mean like morally wrong yeah and, and basically the idea was well we're we're really good friends and dot 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 there was a whole bunch of stuff and i was like man that's just that's bananas but i'm not their moral compass right but i think that it's weird <laughs> for sure um so I wanted to talk about this because I do not put it past anybody to try and hot bunk a bed. I think that it's creepy as hell because they're referring to this as a, a, they are looking for an easygoing woman to share the master bedroom and one queen size bed. Yeah, the immediate thing that came to mind was like people's safety. Yeah, and predator. This is all Please, predator. if you're out there, do not respond to an ad like this. Or send somebody that's willing to troll like hardcore and can defend themselves against a psychopath. This should be criminal though, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I hope that nobody fell prey to it because of their, their need to survive might have pushed them into taking, um, taking on that risk. It's just a shame. Anyway, let's keep on going. It's a month old and deleted. So, so this next and our final article for today is um, science-based. So technology today, uh, we I titled this segment, Honey, I Shrunk the Planet. Um, a new study, oh, so sorry, the title of this is Cosmic Vanishing Acts, NASA Unraveling 
the mystery of shrinking exoplanets. And I actually have read a little bit about this prior to this. Uh, um, I find it really interesting um, that we're looking at exoplanets, which are planets outside of our solar system. And we are detecting that sometimes they reduce in size over time. Um, or based on what their current calculation is, they should be bigger, but they're not, they're smaller. And when they are smaller, they're typically missing their atmosphere. So they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. Well, we don't know. I mean, we've only been around for 5,000 years, 10,000 years as, you know, science capable human beings. Um, Sorry, when they're talking about between super earths and sub Neptunes, mm -hmm. Does that refer to planet size? Yes. Or does that refer to location? Size. Um, almost entirely size, not location in the spectrum from their sun. Um, so a new study could explain the missing exoplanets between super Earths and sub Neptunes. The reason is that there isn't anything in those two areas. Um, some exoplanets seem to be losing their atmospheres and shrinking. So the article is over at SciTechDaily.com. Um, Jet Propulsion Laboratory is the byline. So uh, That's not, an odd name for an individual. Yeah, Jet is pretty cool though. Um, they're on lower decks. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat of a superhero in, in uh, lower decks. So exoplanets come in a variety of sizes from small rocky planets to colossal gas giants. In the middle lie a rocky super earth and larger sub Neptunes with puffy atmospheres, but there's a, a conspicuous absence, a size gap. So sorry, folks, size matters um, of planets that fall between 1.5 to two times the size of earth or in between super earths and sub Neptunes that scientists have been working to better understand. So they've been, basically taking pictures and, and looking at measurements. Scientists have now confirmed the detection of over 5,000 exoplanets, but there are far fewer um, planets than expected with a diameter between 1.5 and two times that of Earth, said Caltech IPAC research um, scientist Jesse Christensen, uh, science lead for NASA Exoplanet Archive and lead author of the new study, The Astronomical Journal. Um, quote, Exoplanet scientists have enough data now to say that this gap is not a fluke. There's something going on that impedes planets from reaching and or staying at this size. Um, in historically, what I've read about this basically made me think that it's kind of like a superfluid where uh, water, for instance, has various levels where as it gets colder, it freezes and then gets colder still and becomes a superfluid again. And then it actually has the ability to climb up and out of its vessel. So to me, it's kind of a phase shift for these planets when they fall into the certain range, either um, their ability to travel through space is ripping away the atmosphere and gravity isn't strong enough to hold it. Um, or there's some other mechanism where the, the atmosphere just doesn't form and it just ekes its way out um, and then becomes uh, a, an atmosphereless moon kind of environment with no atmosphere like Mars, um, which, yeah. 
So they end up talking about this and it says the other leading explanation for the planetary gap photo evaporation is one thing. And then there's another one um, where let's see if they say it in here because I, I jumped down. I'm sorry. Um, where is it? Scientists have settled on two likely mechanisms. Uh, one is called core powered mass loss, which is a new one to me. Um, and the other is photo evaporation. And the study has uncovered new evidence supporting the first, which is core powered mass loss. Essentially what they're saying is that the radiation from within the planet is pushing the atmosphere out into space and it's being wiped away. So, um, it's not able to keep its atmosphere because the radiation is energizing it enough to push it all away. The other leading explanation for the planetary gap is photo evaporation happens when a planet's atmosphere is essentially blown away by the hot radiation of its host star. In this scenario, the high energy radiation from the star is acting like a hairdryer on an ice cube. She said, um, really should be a they said, but anyway, um, while photo evaporation is thought to occur during a planet's first 100 million years, core powered mass loss is thought to happen much later, closer to a billion years into a planet's life. But with either mechanism, if you don't have enough mass, you can't hold on to your atmosphere and you lose that atmosphere and then shrink down. Well, then how would ever small planets form, for example, wouldn't they run into the same problem? Well, typically small um, planets don't have an atmosphere because they don't have the gravity to hold on to it. And the forming uh, mechanisms weren't like Earth. Um, so while I don't think that Earth is particularly unique, we just haven't found it out of the hundreds of millions of planets that are out there. Um, it does take a, a certain process to impart an an atmosphere that isn't just a swirl of uh, horrible gases that will kill us. Um, so you either lose it through the process of formation, never gain it through the process of formation, or it turns into things like Jupiter, um, which there is something in there. <laughs> um, we just can't get through all of that crap that's floating around it or stuff. I, I'm sorry, me saying crap about a planet's uh, gaseous, gaseous mass is kind of like saying that there's junk DNA. We just don't know what to do with it. That's anyway, right. We don't want to refer to it as junk. There could be an entire civilization there. Exactly. No, God, aliens. Yes, aliens. There we go. Um, so in observing uh, Presepe, I guess, and Hyades, the researchers found that nearly 100% of stars in these clusters still have a sub-Neptune planet or planet candidate in their orbit. Judging from the size of these planets, the researchers think that they've retained their atmospheres. So if we have the ability to keep looking at these, we will eventually find um, various ages and then we can see if our estimation on why it happens this way is true. Um, this differs from other older stars observed by K2, um, stars more than 800 million years old. 
only 25% of which have orbiting sub-Neptunes. The older age of these stars is closer to the time frame in which core-powered mass loss is thought to take place. To me, this screams that they're looking at the results and saying, this is what happens here. Um, it's kind of like finding out that two plus two is four and then saying, well, to get to four, you have to do two plus two, right? Like just because right, you, have, you had to have some twos out there. Yeah. Somewhere. Um, it, it just seems like it's from the, I, 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 I can't really describe it. It's other like than an like, odd the top study down, because it seems like the point of reference is a, a odd place to go from. Yeah, it's the result. You're looking at the result and going, oh, look, when we look back at this area, we find all of these planets um, that meet our expectation. Well, I, I guarantee you in five years, they're going to look somewhere else and go, well, shit. <laughs> oh, here we're, here are all those missing exoplanets. Or exactly. <laughs> yeah, We just... We have We're such all a hanging out over size. in this one sector. <laughs> yeah, because the processes that formed those are different than in this other area. I mean, to me, that's exactly what's going to happen. But uh, I'm not I don't work in this field. Um, I just find it really fascinating. Well, and I think most scientific research is beneficial. Yep. So I want them to keep studying. But this was a strange study. Yeah. But somebody, you, you know, looking at big bang theory people really kind of poo poo big bang theory but they actually broached this kind of an issue where somebody has worked for 20 years in the field and never made a major discovery but when you think about it they made countless discoveries how not to do something um, absolutely which all builds into the body of research and yep. might support somebody else making the next major discovery that's right it still makes me think, why do we not have a manual on how to raise human beings? You know, we've done all of the research. We know what makes a successful human being because there are many, many successful human beings, right? But why isn't there a manual that it's, it's like science. We know how not to do X, Y, and Z research because the result is always negative. Why don't we have a human manual? Is there enough consensus on those topics? I mean, there's so many different theories about that. Yeah. It's a fun discussion. Anyway, we are done for today. So let's go all the way back. Get in the party bus, everybody. Get in the party bus. You have to go back. And then uh, we click the link there at the front and um, go, yay, look, more articles. Oh, I'm kind of bummed, by the way. I really want an iPad mini because it's easy to... To, easier to carry around than a regular iPad um, Pro or um, the 12 the inch one. So I want a smaller one. And uh, they're not going to do an M1 or M2 or M3 iPad mini until supposedly 2025. So I mean, that's an eternity in time. In tech, yeah. So it says Apple uh, uses Paris engineers to break and harden iPhone security, uh, which is to me pretty darn secure up until I have unfettered access and then I can pretty much rip it apart. 
Um, the most surprising detail of Altman's ouster might be the fact that OpenAI fired him over a Google Meet call. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing at Altman, but <laughs> more at the tactic of that. What a trip, man. Pretty soon it's going to be like Fifth Element. You just get a little... Um, well, at least they didn't fire him over ChatGPT. Oh, really? That would be hilarious, right? Hey, ChatGPT, write me a termination letter a, for Sam Altman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that would have been really spectacular right oh i wonder if that's actually happened out there you know there used to be a website called eft company <laughs> not eft company it was actually the word right right they turned it into a book um but the website just blew up and it was right around the time that it was the dot-com collapse and stuff like that um it was run by a guy named pud and um I want to do stuff like that with AI, you know, just F AI <laughs> and see who all submits stuff like that. Cause it, it just seems like endless day after day. We are finding articles about somebody that used AI in some clandestine way to charge into success and it leads to their disbarment or termination right right or landing There's on their face be lots of examples of those i think <laughs> it's just going to get better and a better a lot too. of people don't even use ai yet so think about when it starts rolling out to everyone when it gets normalized yeah um i know one youtuber that talks about ai quite a bit um seem to have like a smattering of following prior but then embraced wholeheartedly AI and uh, it's kept him busy as hell, man. I mean, just, he is going again and again and again. So I just, I don't like being that focused, that niche. It, it's, it's tiring and boring for me, but I love that people are really passionate about that one subject. Um, more than any, they set everything else aside and they love whatever, whatever it is that they do. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll talk about everybody else's stuff because I think it's fun to be holistic like that. Pardon me. Anyway, um, that's it for today. Sit down. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that has kept me out of trouble a couple of times in this, uh, this uh, episode alone. So thank you very much. Welcome back. That's it. You gonna say that, that dead <laughs> yeah. air is the AI going? I thought you were what still the hell? talking. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at six p.m. Eastern because it'll be the Sunday show. Dun dun dun! The Sunday show. It's still hometown daily, but anyway, it's the Sunday show. Hometown daily Sunday edition. Sure. See you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Bye-bye.